Matthew 7, 13 through 29, the narrow and wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. True and false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious fools. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is a cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. True and false disciples. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sin. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's give a round of applause. That's not an easy reading. <laughs> Thank you. So some of you know we're uh, we're doing an anxiety study, uh, kind of a book called Anxious for Nothing, and I was feeling a little anxious, and I ran into a church member at, uh, at HEB. I ran into uh, Keith Waldrop, actually, and uh, Keith, uh, Keith's an accountant, you know, and so I was feeling down, and, and I thought, I'll go ask Keith for advice, because as an accountant, he'll excel at things, and, uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, so I went to go ask uh, Keith, and I said, Keith, man, um, I'm just feeling down. And he's like, you know, I have one word for you. I was like, that's all you're going to tell me? He's like, yeah, I have just one word for you. And he said, come here closer to me. And I said, oh, okay. And I leaned over, and he said, plethora. And I said, that means a lot. <laughs> I didn't warn Keith that I was going to say that. So. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I had another joke, but I realized I think I had already told it, so uh, I had to come up with something else. Um, 
Today we are finishing up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, this has been a series where I've really tried as much as I know how to let Jesus be the person driving this and just use the examples and the thought and the logic of, of that incredible sermon that he preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And like any good preacher, he really ramps up in this last section that we're looking at today, ramping up with a, with a question for us, a, a decision that he is wanting us to make as his disciples about how we're going to live our life. Just a, a little bit in terms of looking back over the last few weeks at some of the things that the Sermon on the Mount has brought forward. It began with those beatitudes and those, those kind of Jesus laying out what, the, what his followers would be like and how they would be people of radical trust in God, radical faith in God. And then he talked a lot about that way that they would be, that they would be special sort of people and and that in many ways their life would be lived in, in, in a holiness that had not been known, that there would be, that they would be people who really sought to live as God wanted them to live. And, and he talked about his kind of morality that we've been talking about a lot over the last few weeks, this idea of reciprocity, that, that as the Father loves us, we should love other people. As, as, we, as we judge, we are judged. As we forgive, we are forgiven. All of these kinds of ways that he has spelled out this picture of this relationship between God, ourselves, and our neighbor and this sort of loving relationship that moves between them and keeps us always relating. That, that our job as Christians is to be that part of that relationship who loves as God loves us, who forgives as God forgives us. And it's summed up in that basic idea of the golden rule, though also with that relationship with God. That we should do to others as we want to have done with ourselves and that there's a sort of reciprocity in this whole thing. So if that's his sort of moral teaching, he's been also clear that that there is a way of life associated with this. This isn't just a thought you have in your head. Christianity is not something you say, okay, I believe these things, let me sign my name here. It's a, it's a way of life. I've been calling it a heart transformation is what he's after. Transformation of that inner part of us that bleeds out into everything that we so this last week, we're going to step through his final kind of ramp up in this sermon where, where he really is pushing this idea of a decision, really, a decision where we have to be really honest with ourselves about where we're at in this. So Jesus begins with a basic observation, or he tells us that, that we should go through the narrow gate. Now, that may not have been super apparent what he's talking about there, but in Jesus' time, cities were surrounded by walls, or big cities were. And they had gates. So those would be, these were very important places, kind of like our interstate entries, exits and things. They were 
hubs of activity. And so a big gate would be a gate that everybody would be going through. These would be the major gates in the town. That would be where commerce would have gone through. That would have been where you know, the vast majority of goods and services would have gone through these gates. They would have been busy all the time, people going through. But a narrow gate may have been just a gate just for individual people, maybe, shoulder width. Sometimes even just intended for one person to lead an animal through or something like that. So Jesus is saying that, that that's the gate that we should have. And, and he makes this observation. He, he says sort of like the wide, the, the wide gate or the broad gate that that many are on that, that is the, the way of destruction. This narrow gate is much harder. And that's a, an observation that can feel really damning in quite a literal sense to, who, to our whole thing and this idea that few people will really seek. But what I think Jesus is getting at here is, is the truth that the transformation of our heart that he is seeking is not something that everybody is going to choose. See, as United Methodists, we believe that this is a choice, that we cooperate with God's grace, empowered by God's grace, but that it is a choice. And many people will not choose it. This last week, we took some of the first steps to have an AA meeting here at the church. This is something that's been on our radar for many years as we've had feedback across uh, the years that I've been here that there are not many meetings for people basically south of Kingwood. And one of the things about this area being an area of new growth is that a lot of the infrastructure, social infrastructure, isn't quite set up here yet. So uh, time to time we had been approached about people wondering if we hosted one, but we were always like, no, we, we don't have one. Um, but someone has come and they would like to set one up and we're getting the ball, ball rolling there. And, and I am a believer in, in that because of some of the experiences I've had when I was doing ministry with the homeless. I really saw the power of that group. And one of the things that has always struck me as particularly powerful about the way that they do things in these 12-step groups is that they know it begins with your choice. You have to want to be there. You have to know you need If someone comes into one of these groups and they're like, well, I'm not sure I need this. My wife asked me to come. They're not at where they need to be for that to be effective. Real change. It's hard. And it requires a real decision to walk in a way different than people have been walking. You have to decide you're going to take the narrow path. Not the path that everyone has been walking, that you have been walking. Your life is going to be one where you walk a narrow path. That's what it takes. It's not that different than talking about what it is to follow Jesus. It's a narrow path. 
Jesus continues and building on this idea that he continues by talking about true and false prophets. He says, some of them are ferocious wolves. And then he says, you will know them by their fruit. This is one of the ways in the New Testament that, that Paul and Jesus often talk about kind of discernment is to know it through the fruits. What is the result of it? I, I care deeply about the Christian gospel and particularly about it being something that can move into the future because I think it's of such vital importance. But we have to be honest. We have to admit that right now the institutions of the Christian religion are not trustworthy to a lot of people. I'm 40-something years old. I forget these days. And, and throughout all of my life, there have been stories of mega church pastors who have done things or the Catholic church sex scandals or even recently in the Methodist church with one of our pastors who was doing financial stuff. And it just seems like almost all the heroes, the big, whatever, if it's a big institution or a big church, it's going to fall. This last week, the founder of Hillsong, who we sing their songs, stepped down in amid terrible scandal, as have many of their pastors. We have to be able to discern the way by looking at and asking ourselves, where, where is the fruit of the Spirit? Where is the peace? Where is the love? Where, are, where, are, where is God's forgiveness? Where, is, where am I connecting in with what God is calling me to? Where am I finding that deeper path? Who else is walking that narrow path? Those kinds of things. That's the discernment that has to happen. Jesus is telling his followers, look, you're going to have to be careful where you walk and who you listen to. Because this is a narrow path. He continues, continuing again to keep on pushing further and further by talking about true and false disciples. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, it is my follower. He gives this example of people who will say, I prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, I don't know you because if you haven't done the will of the Father, you're not my disciple. This is one of the passages in the New Testament, by the way, that, that, that just sort of as a sword cuts through a lot of cheap Christianity. Sometimes we can believe that it's just a matter of what we say. We believe. But Jesus is very clear here. It's going to be about doing and walking the walk, living that love, those relationships that ethic that he's talked about, about loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving God, and living out that kind of love in our day to day. And I feel like all of us should read this and we should be fearful about where we are at. I don't like to talk about the fear with God much, but we should look and realize that, that that's a tall order, right? Because all of us, and this is a church, by the way, filled with great people, 
I think highly of everyone I know in this room. But all of us have a limit to our love. We might be able to be very loving to those in our family, or, or maybe not, but you know. We might be able to be loving and, and kind to those that are our friends and circle. And we might even be very brave and be, be able to be kind to most people we meet on the street and all of those kinds of things. But there is always going to be a limit, whether it's just the way that we go, well, I can't live my life trying to care about people across the world, or I can't, all of these kinds of things. There's a limit to us. And yet we seek to follow someone who never knew that limit. We seek to follow in Jesus' footsteps who went to the cross so that others that he never even knew would know God. Who gave his life for us. And, and there's a limit on what we would do. And that's where grace comes in. That's where this isn't just about towing the line entirely, but knowing that Jesus walks with us. Because in every command of Jesus, there's also a promise. And that promise is that there is a narrow path, but that you can walk it. That there, is, uh, uh, there are true disciples. There are fruits of God's Spirit in our lives. That we can know these things. And then finally, he ends with this, probably the greatest example in this entire thing. He, he ends with an example of, of builders. And he says, a wise builder builds their house on rock. When the storms come, the house stands. A foolish builder builds their house on sand. When the storms come, it collapses. We all know that storms come. And I think what Jesus is calling us and wondering for us is about that decision of do we want this? Do we want to be followers of the crucified one? Do we want to seek the kind of love that he showed? Do we want to live as he has commanded us to live? There are many ways to do it. And the question is, is this really what we want? This life of surrender that he is calling us to. Because that's what it is. A life of surrender. But you know, I do think most of us want wrong. I do think that most of us are searching for a place that we can stand firm. That we can say, this is where I stand. This is who I am. This is what my life is about. This is the path that I am walking. Or it's just sort of all shifting beneath us. 
when I was young, we used to live in the Carolinas and we'd go out to the ocean. I think it was Myrtle Beach, I'm not entirely sure, but there used to be these sand dunes. And I was little, probably Joshua's age, my son, so very little, but one memory I have is that we try to climb these sand dunes. But you know, if you're little and you're trying to climb sand, everywhere you step, everywhere you try to hold sort of collapses. And it can feel like that sometimes. And that's why this is a path of surrender. Is, is that it is also a path that we can stand on. I know for some of you perhaps listening to this, it may sound kind of theoretical. Like, wouldn't that be nice? But one of the great joys about being a pastor is that you get to walk with people throughout their whole life. And often they don't call you unless those storms are beating at the walls. And I have been in rooms. In fact, the first person that I ever had to visit that was terminal had brain cancer. I have been in a room with someone who stood upon the rock of Christ and he's been actually faced death praised God and was so thankful for her life. She walked that narrow path. That path of surrender. I, I've been in other places where, where it wasn't at all like that. Where it was entirely different. Where it was a room filled with anger and resentment and, and looked at it as they had seen their life that they had sought so hard to control slipping through their fingers like sand. And, and I have seen that too. When people don't know where to turn. You know, the, the hard thing about this is that this narrow path, you have to want it. And you have to feel like you need it. You have to look at your life and say, you know what I need in my life is Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need him. I need to follow him. I need this with all of who I am. I desire this surrender. And it's not like it comes immediately and it's just like this one-time moment. As Methodists, we believe these moments of surrender are ongoing. That It's things that we often find that we surrender deeper and deeper. But that hunger, that thirst for righteousness that he talked about at the front of the sermon, that desire that this is what you need to live is what is at the heart of Jesus' call in this sermon. Because what Jesus is essentially saying is that unless you have this, unless you stand upon that rock, no matter what seems to be going great and all of the money and all of whatever, it's all just sand. 